office. We're doing a test stream here. Don't freak out. It's not my backyard. I understand. I'll be back. I'll be back to my backyard. But right now, we're testing out our capacity here at the, at the, at the Chapo offices for future use. And later, to, we might do some more, uh, some more stuff interactive. But right now, we're just seeing how it works. I've got a pile of Gulf War trading cards here for us to enjoy. And uh, an amazing post from, uh, an amazing quote, rather, from Joe Biden today. They asked him about QAnon, and his response was, quote, I'm a supporter of mental health, and I urge them to take advantage of the things in the Affordable Care Act while it's still there. And, of course, that's being used as evidence that he is uh, that he is slaying and that he is dragging fools. But, honestly, I can't think of a more wildly, violently psychotic, antisocial thing to say. The guy is really running on pure elder rage, just as much as Trump is at this point, just contempt for any question, anybody questioning him uh, and his position. I mean, take advantage of the Ameri Affordable Care Act to get mental health care. Well, it's still there, even though I'm planning on becoming president within the next six months. God damn. He's a real sicko. That guy. Ugh. I'm going to look through some of these Gulf War trading cards that we've got here. I haven't been able to look at them since the pandemic started. I'm going to look at some of these fun things that happened during the last war we won, the war in Iraq. <laughs> so they have these cards for different countries, and ours is right here, the United States, and it's Mount Rushmore, that emblematic part of America's geography. A charter member of the United Nations, the USA is a permanent member of the Security Council. The USA was designated to coordinate the liberation of Kuwait by the United Nations. That was nice of them. That was nice of them to let us do that. For Operation Desert Storm, the USA supplied more than 500,000 troops, 2,700 air units, 4,200 armored vehicles, and 100 warships. Damn. That's something. That's impressive. But then we got the other country, the other main protagonist of the war, Iraq. Founded by Caliph Umar I in 638, Basra is the second largest city in Iraq. In literature, Basra is the home of Sinbad in A Thousand and One Nights. In 1914, a harbor was created at Basra during the Iraq, Iraq Ocean Access, giving Iraq Ocean Access. During the Iran-Iraq War in 1988, Basra was the scene of fierce fighting. During Operation Desert Storm, it was repeatedly bombed to prevent assistance to the Iraqi forces in Kuwait. I love learning. I love learning things. 
including that one of the military skills you can learn in the military is survival, which honestly seems like it'd be number one. Number one skill to learn in the military is survival. Many situations in combat may leave soldiers, seamen, or pilots cut off from the main group with no supplies. Survival training and equipment will help them keep going until Talp arrives or they can return to friendly territory on their own. The most important aspect in survival, according to instructions in a U.S. military survival kit, is, quote, keep your head. Native tribes live for generations in the open air, taking their living from nature. You can do the same. Best of luck, and remember that courage alone has won many a battle. That's nice. Your ass is on your own. I like that one of these cards is Middle Eastern Greeting Customs. And the Canadian system of government, which I can't think of a more meaningful context for this than the Iraq war. The Canadian government is divided into three autonomous but linked branches. Parliament, the legislative branch, is bicameral. That is divided into two parts, the Senate and the House of Commons. The executive branch is headed by the prime minister, who is advised by a cabinet. The judicial branch interprets the laws and oversees the entire court system. The ceremonial head of government is the English monarch, currently Elizabeth II. It's still her. How the hell is that lady still alive? How much adrenochrome can one person eat? That lady needs to share something with the rest of us. I mean, maybe I would like to see the clockwork uh, elves in like the mirror blood dimension where the hell creatures live. Do we got anything? What are they talking about? Hi, I'm here. Uh, I'm also here. Let me turn on my camera. Let's see. Uh, we've, we've got uh, a lot of people who are confused, uh, irritated, uh, disoriented by the different setup. I figured. Um, but, you know, I think that they're working through that together. Um, I'm looking at the chat right now, so if anybody has any questions, comments, uh, things that they would like to... It's um, okay. I understand. You can see my legs, and I know that that's upsetting. I, I'm not happy about it either. We'll <laughs> fix the blocking in future episodes. Do you want me to? Do you want me to uh, uh, post up the camera? No, it's fine. They'll right, have great. to get used to it. Um, so yeah, uh, tell tell me what you're. What, what what do we want Matt to talk about today? Yeah. Uh, I would I would love to do a Chapo ASMR episode. My idea for an ASMR episode is simply reading the Wikipedia page for the Thirty Years War. <laughs> uh. Come on, let's get some some. Okay, I I mean I don't want to belabor this, but uh, I, I was almost going to ask you about this earlier, Matt. Did you see that uh, Maddie G uh, had some responses to our Chapo reading series today? I only saw the one. Did he have more than one? I think uh, the only one I saw was the thing about relitigating five-year-old Twitter beefs, but uh, which is hilarious coming from him. Which is absolutely fucking hilarious coming from him because his entire fucking his entire mindscape is just doing battle with other fucking people on Twitter. I have good, I have it on good authority that the motherfucker has gone to anger management over tweets. So once again, as with all internet contact, all internet conversation, it's just projection. Everyone's projecting. Uh, he he's, he's living in his own little, uh, hall of resentment mirrors. Um, 
in lieu of anything more uh, substantial right off the bat, uh, somebody uh, asked for some Lodge 49 talk. I just started watching Lodge 49. I'm about halfway through the first season, and it's as good as you thought it was. I thought it was going to be much darker. I didn't know it was going to be such a, uh, I wouldn't call it good vibes, but it is kind of a blue sky show with darker under underpinnings. It's a, ch- it's a chill vibe. I think that its general attitude is one. It's positive because it's, it's open-hearted and it's, it's confident that there is like re- there is something redeemable in human life and in human, uh, in human social interaction that we're not all just uh, doomed to bounce off of one another in cosmic nightmare horror until eternity, which is the main theme of most prestige TV shows. Uh, the thing that struck out at me, like it's kind of superficial, but I thought it was very well done, is the very compassionate depiction of how you know you can be living a nice normal life in like two bad twists of faith, like a snake bite and your dad having an untimely death, like totally spiral you into oblivion. Yeah, uh, I thought that that was that was nice. Yeah, no, it 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 the, the show is very grounded, and it it's. It talks. It's very specific in the way that it addresses how uh, we are absolutely at the whim of the market, and how that has left us with this terror in our hearts because we can't have any faith that anything we have today is going to even be there tomorrow. Uh, but it, it's not totally nihilistic or dark because it recognizes the potential for people to cross those chasms of fear and uh, come together uh, in a secret lodge <laughs> dedicated to uh, turning lead into gold. Uh, as, as we should all be dedicated to, I think that we could do, uh, would you, Matt, would you consider uh, the, the long-term endeavor of transforming lead into uh, gold a, a suitable grill pill uh, uh, pursuit? You know what? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I just want to say one more thing about the about the uh, about the fucking Iglesias deal because Iglesias is responding to somebody else who listened to the episode and then just says these guys are being reactionary. They're being pro sprawl, anti natalist, and no, we just said that Iglesias' stupid uh, like a la carte technocratic approach is bullshit and unworkable, and that any of the problems that he talks about have to be addressed by people uh, like overthrowing the domination of their lives and and finding some actual uh, uh, autonomy from the market, not to just submit to it fully in the name of beating the Chinese. But with these people, like they are the blackest pilled of all because they they don't think that there is any alternative truly to that to a world of 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 market enslavement. That, that we can never transcend separateness to the extent that we can have a collaborative political project. We will only be mass, we will only be able to mediate our desires in the market. And the best we can hope for is to fool enough rubes with, uh, with some uh, clever nationalist jujitsu to get them to go along with positive policies. And they're so f- fixed on that, that if you say that they're, that their technocratic fixes are insufficient or that they create problems that their the political structure they assume to be uh, immutable can't absorb that you are actually on the other side and you actually think, no, no one should have kids and no, we should sprawl out into oblivion. No, no, I, uh, 
there is no reason if anyone listened to that episode to think that you could only think that if you are so wedded to this format, this format of human uh, political engagement, that any alternative to it is just a non-starter. And that if you aren't on board with their blueprint, you are uh, kicking out the idea of making anything better for anybody, even though their model for change is impossible. I mean, has he fucking noticed that nothing got better? Has he fucking noticed that Obama had eight years to basically do exactly what these guys want to try to, to try to nudge us. Remember Cass Sunstein and the nudge. That was how we were going to get to a, a equitable society. Just subtle little nudges. We're going to push us into being decent human beings to one another. How did that fucking work? They had eight years to fucking do it and they didn't get close and everything that they could even point to in the near term. I mean, my God, Biden said, uh, uh, take advantage of the ACA while it's still there. Like just assuming that this thing that was supposed to be a big fucking deal on Biden's own words is just a fucking sandcastle that will have blown over by a stiff fucking breeze. <laughs> Does uh, like, you guys are the real nihilists, man. And you guys are the ones who have decided that uh, just as long as you have a smug answer for something, you're do you're contributing. You're, you're contributing to the world. Um, how about this, Matt, uh, to switch gears into historical counterfactuals, because we were just talking about them. Uh, based on the Atlantic article, would it have been better if the Germans had won World War I? Well, I mean, the first thing you got to ask is, could they have? Because if they couldn't have, it's sort of an inoperative point, because the world would have to be so different for them to have won that it's like, well, not, we're not even talking about a world we recognize. Um, and I don't know if the Germans could have won World War I. Uh, if we'd stayed out of it, maybe, but like there's, I, there are people who've s made a strong point that the Germans were actually broken before we even showed up and that their position in the middle was untenable, especially given their allies. Uh, I guess the only way they could have won a war is, is a shorter war, but where they were able to like get a definitive outcome before it turned into a war of attrition because Germany, they love starting fights, but they can't finish them because they, they don't have the, 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 the material base to fight everyone, which is what they seem to want to do all the time, or did anyway. Although now they just, they just took over everybody from, with the central bank, which was very clever of them. So I don't know. I mean, if they won the war, I don't know how that could have been possible, but you probably still have a Great Depression and you still have like the crisis of fascism. I mean, in Harold Turtle, in Harry Turtle Dove's books, Germany wins World War One in Europe, but then England and uh, France become fascist. And you could argue that France was really the most fertile soil for fascism in Europe. Certainly, the most like politically, where political anti-Semitism was the most advanced, uh, and that a defeated France could have been absolutely ground zero for fascism. But who knows? Uh, I just want to shout out the person in the chat who I think correctly states that uh, German victory could only have been achieved if pointier helmet technology had been uh, available at the time. Yeah, those pickle hubs needed to be much sharper for, for them to have any hands, chance. Um, let's see. More no, the real, the real counterfactual with Germany is what if the German revolution of 1918 had succeeded? That, uh, that's a real one. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that was my take when we were just talking a moment ago about uh, the the losers in the World War One cemetery. They they were only losers and suckers because they didn't join with the uh, internationalist movement right after the war. Yeah. All right. I, I do like that. The the I am a fan. Of, I am loving the Trump thing. Uh, because the Trump thing with the troops. I mean, obviously, for one thing, this is all exculpatory from guys like John Kelly, who just want to be. They they hate Trump, but they still served him, and they need to have that litigated in public so that they can have their sense of guilt assuaged. In which case, boo fucking who? It was your own fault. Uh, and I got to say, there's, I can't think of greater ownage than Kelly standing there because his son died in Iraq, I believe. Uh, and Trump being like, what were they doing? What a bunch of losers. Why would you fight? Why would you get killed? And that shows a fundamental friction point between different elements of like the ruling class because the military does require an ethic, some sort of ethic of sacrifice, right? Some sort of ethic of a higher good or else you wouldn't join the military. But all of that higher good is in practice just doing the will of people like Donald Trump. But the social contract is predicated on people like Donald Trump not saying that out loud. <laughs> they say thank you for your service. They, they, they give you the, the, the bathetic tributes to make up for the fact that your death was in vain. Uh, and he just doesn't have the wherewithal or like emotional and intellectual continence to not just say, you're a fucking sucker for fighting and dying for guys like me. Uh, and John Kelly just has to take it. He just has to stand there and take it. And then he leaks to the Atlantic so that they can publish it a year later. And he thinks he's doing something. Uh, but it does make you wonder about like the, the, I've talked before about how the military is going to really be the deciding piece in any kind of crisis, prolonged pl political crisis in this country. And they're like they are the least they're sort of the most ideologically obscured element of the ruling class you know by date by definition by nature and it's and and as a result it's harder to predict where they would go and how they would respond and that's why the military often in periods of crisis and in, in different countries and different periods of time ends up just subsuming all politics within itself uh but not on one not on the, like the cultural terms of one side or the other, trying to transcend them, which of course is silly and eventually doomed, but they don't know that because they actually believe this shit. If they didn't, they wouldn't be in the army. They'd be making real money doing something else. Um, did you see that, uh, that thing that was going around last week, that poll that had uh, the majority of, the de of military supporting Biden? Yeah. And apparently officers more than enlisted men, which some people were baffled by. But for me, that's pretty simple. Most officers in the military went to college. Yeah. Isn't that just college versus non-college? It's college versus non-college. That's the real battle. Like, the, like it's a civil war here between white people based on who went to college and, and, and how that <laughs> structures their alienation, how that structures their like resentment and their anger and their frustration at being part of a system that is like dehumanizing them on a daily basis which we all feel to some extent or another if we don't feel it personally we see it done to others around us and we fear it happening to ourselves and how we how we deal with that how we find the source for it is largely dependent on the cultural the cultural baggage that we've accumulated either from our communities 
which tends to make people sort of uh, like culturally reactionary or from the suite of opinions you get from the college uh, uh, process, the, 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 the process of being acculturated into bourgeois norms. Uh, Mr. Cringe 69420, I can tell you right now, the audio Kush vlog feed exists as of this moment. It is up. I have, uh, I have levelated every Kush vlog uh, or mastered every Kush vlog into MP3 form um, and I'm in the process of publishing them. Only, I've only had time to put 10 up on the feed so far. I, I still need to submit it to the iTunes uh, music store. Uh, to get it populated in all the the catchers, uh, but hopefully over the next few days I will upload every. I think there are seventy one or seventy two. This will be the seventy second uh, Kush vlog. So hopefully by um, by Monday or so we'll have all of those up and going, and you'll be able to listen to these not only as live video broadcasts, but also uh, as as uh, uh, podcasts in the next in the day or two afterwards after whenever I get them going. So that is it's it's. The progress moves forward. Um, uh, a guy in the chat, Matt, asks for a shout-out because they finished Capital Volume 1 last night. They request an attaboy. Attaboy? Who is, what's their handle? Flank Ocean. Fl- flank Ocean? Flank. Like, you know, like Frank, but in baby talk, Flank. Flank Ocean. Well, congrats on finishing uh, Capital. It's a bear. By the way, one of these cards it says Intelligence File. Judaism. <laughs> Jews believed God is just believe God is above all and created everything. Accepting the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai formed a covenant or pact with God. By observing God's laws, they gained their protection. Synagogues are the place, and the Saturday, the day of rest and worship. The three main branches are Orthodox, conservative, and Reform. So there we go. And now you have read the intelligence file on Judaism. <laughs> I would like to, I would I wonder what in like the CIA archives if there is just a file labeled Judaism and what is contained within it. I would like to know as well. Um all right, here's maybe a, a curveball. I don't know if this is a good question or a bad question. Is there an argument to be made that Trump is actually the harm reduction choice uh given the the possibility of stochastic like QAnon based violence? Uh, I, I've thought about this and, and I think that there's the thing is, is that there's a re- the reason harm reduction is a silly cat way to go about all this stuff is that you don't know. Like you just said, they said stochastic. We don't know. Uh, I think the QAnon violence is inevitable. I think QAnon violence is going to happen whether Trump wins or loses. Uh, but I, I do think at this point it'll still be relatively disorganized. It'll be, you know, the, the least, the most, disturbed and the least coherent and the most sort of like violently attached members of the of the movement expressing themselves personally through violence and i think that's inevitable and that's going to get bigger but i don't think it's going to become like a a a, a public health crisis you know on par with a, a coronavirus or something like i was like i i i I honestly don't know how you can look at this situation and look at this political consensus and say that you're going to be able to pick who's going to make things less terrible. Uh, And the good news is you don't really have to spend that much time on it because as I keep saying, voting your individual choice to vote for anyone is not really meaningful. So don't sweat it too hard. 
do what you want. If it feels like you, if you feel like you should vote for Biden, don't feel like you have to like spend 40 days on top of a mountain to purge yourself <laughs> of that feeling. Or if you feel like you don't want to vote at all, or you want to vote for the party or you want to vote Trump as an ironic bit. Don't spend too much time on like the, 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 the moral question of it because all you end up doing is, is, is building up the act of voting into this mythic self-defining act, which is what they want you to think. Like the reason that we're able that, that we're one of the big reasons we are where we are is because people have ceded to voting a huge chunk of their sense of autonomy in life and their control over their future. Like the fact that we vote is supposed to be this thing that defines us as people and defines our destiny. But it's really just what a hundred million people just shuffling into a fucking uh place independently and just pressing a button there's no coordination there's no pressure there's no meaningful uh, uh uh organizing within like the voting public at large it's an individual choice and and it's you should probably only think about it as long as it takes to wait in line and then press the button and then that hole that used to be filled with asking these questions of yourself can be filled by asking questions that are more relevant to your life. Um, okay. Uh, going off of the, uh, the QAnon thing, a few people are asking, uh, and this kind of, I guess, I guess this would frame in, in something you were talking about maybe last week, maybe the week before the, the kind of everything is an op framework yes uh do you have any thoughts about the portland shooter being killed yesterday i'm seeing a lot of stuff that he was released from custody after like driving 110 miles on the highway with a kid in the car and, and guns and stuff and and that he had like a totally apolitical instagram until like a couple months ago and a fresh blm tattoo and it's all very eyebrow raising certainly but uh, but I guess I ask question I have is for people who are like freaking out about this is okay now what like what what is how does this how does if he's an op if he's a cop what does it mean you know if the cops are out there doing agent provocateur shit like and if they think shooting a uh, a patriot prayer guy is a good use of their time well then what does that tell you about like the efficacy of this movement in general. Like it, 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 if you're if you think that the if the that the cops have an interest in seeing tensions raised and stakes raised along violence, I mean, then doesn't that mean that you sh you should it's your responsibility to the degree that you can to not take them up on it? Doesn't that make sense? Or is it always the cops are going to do what they do and then we just use it as excuse to do whatever we wanted to do anyway, and we never stop for a second to question okay like how does any of this fit into a broader like dynamic but i don't know i have no idea if he was like an op or anything everything seems i mean i i'm a certainly believe that in all these specific locations the cops are doing all kinds of shit that we have no idea about uh but my if i had to guess i'd say it's probably local initiative I mean, maybe it's like part of some some CIA uh, uh, Gladio C operation, but uh, I mean, if that's real, if that if you really think that, then 
I think it would the the next step would be re evaluating like your entire orientation towards the current moment instead of just doubling down on everything. But I don't know. Uh, more questions? Yeah. Uh, all right. I saw somebody asking this a little earlier, and I almost want to bring it up just because it was something I was thinking about or getting irritated about the other day, um, which is uh, I was listening to uh, – I was on a run listening to Pod Save America, as I do. Uh, still still i mean it, it, it look it makes me run faster because when i get done with the run i can stop listening to it uh but they were doing their their now normal thing of um you know uh, uh now the work is to get the only goal the only thing is to get trump out of office and then we can start the hard really hard necessary work to fixing all of the structural things that got trump into office in the first place and Somebody in the chat was asking what happens to the Democrats after Trump because they're, it's seemingly their only organizing principle right now is not Trump. And this is the thing that I was like hitting myself in the head with a hammer listening to these guys to uh, talk about because there is no principle beyond this. Like what is the work of the Democrats after Trump? Uh, I don't know. I would just want to what, – what, what do you say to Restoring that, dignity to the office – Getting the Cheeto dust out of the drapes in the Oval Office. Just, just vacuuming for yeah. four years. Getting all the damn Cheeto dust out of the place. I would say that that if there is an argument for Biden, it's that Biden and his party presiding over the current crisis, uh, the insufficiency of that response is going to be pretty clear and pretty dramatic and there will be none of the Obama patina that protected him from a serious like left response during his presidency. People, people are beyond that. But the problem is the question is whether or not like that alienation from the Democrats will be organized and turned into anything coherent, or if it will just result in a further disaffection from politics in general, in which case the electorate shrinks even further and to the advantage of the Q lunatics who will become the only active base of engaged political citizens in this country because no one else will have any reason to believe that their vote will ever matter in any meaningful way. Yeah. Or the things that like, you know, the, to the extent that the uh, democratic vote is, is mobilized right now. It is in this, um, you know, I don't think for most normal people it's, you know, I want to say hysterical just in the tone of it, but I don't think that the actual response to a Trump presidency is is totally hysterical, but socially, certainly tonally. But, you know, I guess the worry is that it becomes the uh, people do just get to go back to brunch, right? And then without an organizing principle after that, what happens to that version of the electorate? We've proven that nothing, or at least the Democrats have proven that that they are committed to not investing in changing anything. So what is the organizing principle to motivate an electorate after that? And it appears to be nothing. So, I mean, this, you know, just recapping what you were saying about the only people motivated are the people who are convinced that they need to oust the satanic sub-government from, yes. from, from the actual government. Yes. And, I mean, if there's any hope, it's that there's not going to be as many places to go to brunch anyway. <laughs> like was, brunch will be canceled. 
I keep on rolling back and forth in my head that this election is the uh, beautiful boaters versus the beautiful brunchers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true, though. It's very true. Um, let's see. What else? Somebody was posting about Zachary Taylor in here, but I think it got removed by the Automod. Somebody's trying to suppress Zachary Taylor truth. Yes. There is a conspiracy theory about Zachary Taylor. Uh, it's that he was poisoned by pro-Confederate forces because of his resistance to uh, the, ter- the, the southern demands for the territory seized from Mexico being open to slavery, uh, which was headed towards a, a irresolvable crisis when he just dropped dead. Uh, and so there was a theory for many years that it was there was some uh, slave power conspiracy to poison him. And he was actually exhumed a few years ago. Yes, uh, I remember this. They clipped his hair because they thought it might have been arsenic because an arsenic will will linger in hair samples for uh, hundreds of years after death. Uh, but they didn't find any. Apparently, he just drank the doo-doo water. He drank the doo-doo water. Although at the time they said it was because he took he went for a ride in the sun and he was all sweaty and then he just housed a bunch of cherries and milk and <laughs> the it killed him. Cherries and milk, is- <laughs> which is which is the way people used to die because no one knew what was happening, so they would just say the last thing he ate. Like there was a an English king I forget whose like stomach was supposedly exploded because he ate too many eels. <laughs> too many. I, I yeah, I know the eels guy. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, so it's just like, I don't know, man. He just ate all those fucking cherries and he just killed over. Uh, but it was probably the culprit was probably the same culprit for the death of Harrison and probably Polk too. the giant stagnant pond of human shit that was a few hundred yards behind the White House during that entire period. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, somebody's asking me who your favorite fictional president is i feel like you've talked about fictional presidents a lot on on this stream specifically have i you i think you did a whole segment about fictional presidents once who's the best fictional president um i like uh jack nicholson in uh mars attacks because he's completely ineffectual has no idea what's going on and just gets fucking owned after giving a fancy speech that's supposed to solve everything uh, just, he has the right level of smarminess for a true president. Earth and Mars. Um, all right. In lieu of anything better, uh, somebody keeps asking if you could cho- choose a historical war and make it go the other way, which would you do? Oh, boy. Uh, fuck. While you're thinking, I will say no. I do not have five gamer chairs in my room. We, you are looking at two different angles of the same uh, fabled Chapo office. Yeah, that's not Chris's place. He does not have five gamer chairs, and these aren't even gamer chairs. They're just office chairs. Yeah, this you is, people this, are weirdos. This is Doesn't it have, have to, to have the name of like a fucking uh, of of an energy drink on it to yeah. be a to be a gamer chair? Uh, speaking of gaming, if anybody in the chat uh, has ever uh, encountered a problem with the uh, GeForce RTX Ti graphics card uh, not accepting drivers on Windows and um, not uh, recognizing dual monitor setups, the GeForce RTX Ti, uh, slide into DMs because I could use some tech help because this office computer is not responding to me. Um. 
Anyway, uh, give us an office tour here. Uh, check this shit out. It goes. Yeah, let's way. check out the office. Here. There. There. And that's fucking it. That's it. It's just one big room. It's full of old t-shirts and shit. Yeah, we got a lot of t-shirts there. Anyway. Uh, 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 fictional war? Oh, no. Uh, real war, right? Real war. Uh, uh, real war, you want to go fictionally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the tanky answer is obviously the, uh, the Soviet-Polish war. Uh, and that's, that's interesting. But honestly, I think at that point it probably wouldn't have mattered. I don't think that they were going to roll over anybody because at that point Germany was, was solidifying behind reaction. Uh, I don't know. It's always hard to find like a war that uh, that is like contingent enough that the the that the uh, that the outcome could have been different, and there, but also significant enough that that would have had like long lasting repercussions. Maybe the Taiping Rebellion. The the the, the there's no question that the. Uh, uh, that the king, the the king, the Manchus had fucking absolutely lost the mandate of heaven, and them holding on for another fifty years was was pretty perverse. I blame uh, I blame the British as always. <laughs> Basically, any modern war the the British won, other than that World War Two, awesome for them to lose anything. Uh, anything else good in the uh, in the the. Cards. I'm looking at some good cards. Uh, the Ticonderoga class cruiser. That's a good one. The Persian Gulf. We love it. Very important. Where we, all of our oil comes from. And their big dog here. The M1A1 Abrams tank. That's our guy right there. Powered by a revolutionary gas turbine engine. <laughs> the M1A1 is a heavy main battle tank with a speed and agility of a light armor vehicle. We gotta pick up a few of these, Chris. These sound great. Uh, they can't they can't be uh, they can't be too much on the uh, on the resale market at this point, right? Nah, there's gotta be a ton of them. With fifteen hundred horsepower, the Abrams can traverse flat terrain at forty five miles an hour. Rugged terrain poses no problem for its unique hydropneumatic suspension system. The Abrams was the stalwart of the Operation Desert Storm ground attack. It fired so many depleted uranium rounds. <laughs> um, Matt, did you happen to read uh, President Xi's recent article on Marxist political economy in contemporary China? No, but that sounds interesting. I would like, I, I, I am kind of interested. I would like to know more about like how the hell the Chinese like party members square all this shit. Like they have to know that they're not doing communism right now, but do they think, do they have a plan for doing communism or are they just kind of kicking the can down the road? Like our, our guys are where you have like a vague understanding that you have principles that you adhere to, but for the most part, they are sacrificed eternally on the altar of expedience, or are they like really pushing towards something? I have no idea, and I don't know enough one way or the other. It's cer I'm certainly a little skeptical, frankly, of uh, 
of the of the project, but that's because I have no idea. But yeah, I'd like to read that. Uh, I obviously know nothing about uh, contemporary China, China, but I'm always curious as to who the audience is for an article like that, or like you know, actual. I think it's it's members. I mean, remember, there's millions of people in the Chinese Communist Party, you know, and they have varying levels of commitment to the ideology of it, and uh, and that's his whole like his whole Marxist revival is clearly aimed at that grassroots. I just don't know how like effective it is or, or how meaningful it even is. If even if anybody at, at any level of power anymore is operating off of anything other than the m- most emergency sense of like uh, of, of, of managing crisis in the moment with no long-term goals beyond survival. It certainly feels that way everywhere. Um, someone keeps asking, uh, if we'll do an episode on this, I don't know if we'd ever do an episode on this, but, uh, do you have any takes on the Zodiac killer? And he's not talking about Bruce. Uh, I do think it's funny. The two separate guys have written books saying their dad was a Zodiac killer. I think that's pretty <laughs> funny. A lot of people working out, uh, family issues through the lens of unsolved murder cases. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I, 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 I don't even have a theory as to who did it. I don't really think that the Zodiac movie theory, the Graysmith theory is really true, but I don't have any alternative one that I think is more plausible. It's honestly not even that interesting a case when you strip it of the, of the media angle, which of course explains why it's so enduringly popular. Anybody who writes to the media, especially in, the, in, the, in that era when newspapers were the defining like architecture of like civic engagement. Uh, those guys are always going to live forever. Like Berkowitz, same thing. No, one remembers Gary Ridgway because he didn't write any letters to the fucking editor. Uh, let's see. All right, you've been talking about this a little bit. I, I don't even know really what this question means, but it'd be a good time to just make some compare generalized comparisons. Uh, you've been reading the uh, the Reaganland book. Yeah, I just finished it. You're you know about the Invisible Bridge. Yeah. Do you think our current time resembles the 1970s? There is a case to be made that we're in a similar crisis, but the thing about the 70s was is that is that the new deal consensus, the new deal, great society consensus was, was buckling, but there was emerging an alternative and, and it was coming. It was being created along ideological axis and political axis by figures like Milton Friedman and Ronald Reagan and the Mount Perlin society. You know, there was, there was this free market, uh, 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 supply side, political ideology uh, that was waiting in the wings and that was being formed out of the crisis of the collapse of the New Deal consensus to replace it. I think we're in a similar crisis point for that Reaganite consensus that we've been living with for 40 years, but there is no emergent alternative. <laughs> that, that's what distinguishes this time from that. And that's what's so terrifying about the moment because like the, the the Reagan revolution was the sort of the final the final domination of politics by markets like the final 
the final seeding of any even illusion of political autonomy on the part of the, the political class to finance. Uh, and But once that final transfer has been made, there's no one else to hand it off to. There's no one else to take power because you have obliterated the political sphere. You've turned it into a pure spectacle. You've turned it into a pure zone of, of disengaged resentment, which means that when the wheels start falling off, there is no formation to resist it. And of, and of course, the reason, the reason that we ended up with the Reagan uh, realignment is because there was this capital-intensive effort to create an alternative. But now there is, there's nothing else. There's no viable alternative to just stripping the fucking uh, wiring out, to taking out all the copper pipes. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to that thing that I was asking about, like, you know, what is the project of the Democrats post-Trump? It's, I think it's telling about that lack of alternatives that the last two major political movements have been very held up in creating popular opposition to the person of somebody. Yeah. The Tea Party and the popular right-wing revulsion that at least in its broadest considerations were a revulsion at the person of Barack Obama. Barf Sacco Crumbo, yeah. And then the the that resulting in plus other factors resulting in Trump and then at this point two months out from the, uh, the, the 2020 election that the popular formulation of the Democrats is mostly a revulsion to the person of Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah. That, that there, there is no force to be considered, at least in the broad minds of the populace. It's just these, these guys that we got to get out of there. We got to get this guy out of here. We got to get him out of here and then it'll be okay. And then it'll be okay. Uh, I think what the Republicans found out is that, is that, once your guy is out of there, things don't get any better, but man, it's fun watching the libs get pissed. And that then becomes its own, its own mana, its own ambrosia, its own opiate. Uh, and I don't think the libs got anywhere near that kind of satisfaction from watching the conservatives freak out about Obama, especially after the midterms in 2010. Uh, and it's hard to imagine them getting any real satisfaction out of watching Biden be president, especially since it's really, some people have said that like Biden might actually be able to deliver on his promise of deescalating the cultural conflict just because he himself is such a bland, empty vessel that he, he doesn't contain any of like the red flags that enrage. I mean, there's a reason that Trump constantly says that Biden's not actually in charge of the Democratic Party that it's the squad and that it's Antifa because <laughs> the person of Biden can't sustain that anxiety and that terror the way that the person of Barack Hussein Obama could. And I don't know if that's true. I suspect it isn't. Certainly if, you know, they carry out the, the, the austerity uh, depression <laughs> a response that they're likely to pursue. But at the same time, Obama, oh, just Biden does seem to be such a, symbolically empty figure on both sides that it makes me feel that we're, we're probably not going to see some sort of ratcheting down just because conditions are going to keep getting worse. But the, the thing people fight about is probably not going to be the person of the president. 
It could be, but it just seems hard to sustain. Unless Kamala Harris becomes president, and then all bets are off. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Here's something I'm kind of interested in. This is a real grab bag because I'm just like going going with whatever peaks yeah, let's do it. my interest. Let's be bop and scat. Do you think there's anything to the seeming popularity of the true c- crime in podcasts and media? Why over the last, like, really in the Trump first Trump administration, there's been this explosion of true crime media? I mean, obviously, there, there's some kind of pathology that we're working out there that we're, we're excising. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's we want to feel we want to feel the danger that we know is there but we can't see. We need to we want to psychically enact violence and trauma that is absolutely suffusing our lives but is for most of us the ones of us who listen to podcasts largely out of view. And there's something ang- agonizing about that. There's something agonizing psychically about living in a milieu that feels savage, that feels like it's fraying, like a social fabric that is dissolving. But crime isn't really up, you know? Like people aren't experiencing more violent crime. We've had a spike in the last few months, which I said was going to happen when people started dropping like flies and the economy collapsed. It's, it's absolutely predictable. But, you know, this obviously predates that significantly and predates COVID. Uh, we want some sort of way to psychically imagine and enact this sense of danger that is permeating everything but is unspoken otherwise. That's my suspicion anyway. Yeah. And then I think it, it's uh, putting on my uh, podcast producer hat. It's that. And then it's just like an endlessly rich source of text that you can just like pull up a Wikipedia article and have a podcast episode ready to go. Well, that's the other big thing is that it is, it is public domain information. Yes. That can be easily and cheaply mulled over for an audience, which considering the, uh, the nature of podcasting and it's specific, like low overhead for, you know, uh, production costs and content. Uh, it's, it's it's sort of like an improv thing. Like, okay, give me give me a give me a give me a, a fast food restaurant uh, and a murder weapon, and then we'll <laughs> just do an episode. Okay, somebody got beaten to death with a milkshake machine at a Dairy Queen. Go, and then you can talk about that for an hour. Um, I don't want to blow up their spot too much, but uh, Chapo recently got dethroned by another podcast uh, called True Crime Obsessed. There's two people who used to do a Broadway theater news podcast. In fact, one of the hosts, I believe, was the host of the official Disney on Broadway podcast. Doing a true crime podcast that is very uh, yes queeny about murder victims. I think they only review like 48 hours documentaries about murders and stuff. Wait a minute. They just watch a TV show and yeah, talk about only it. Do, so they're not even doing the research of reading the Wikipedia article. Yes. Wow. Uh, so you can imagine how enervated I got when I discovered that this thing exists. 
Uh, and I encourage you all to look it up and just Google true crime obsessed and, and, and check out their web presence and see, uh, um, just imagine how, uh, irritated I became when I discovered this show. Anyway. You know what though? At the same time, like politics is another thing like that. It's another yeah, thing you can riff on. That it's, it's, it's public domain information that every, it's a baseline thing you can talk about without having to have any kind of expertise, which is really what people are looking for when they're looking for things to, to to provide shape for their podcast uh, attempt. Yeah. And and honestly, no shade on anybody. I don't even care that that they're number one on Patreon. Everybody should get it. We're doing fine on Patreon. It's it's independent podcasting is is I, I truly believe in it as the value of independent media. But yes, as the person pointed out, they are literally soy facing in their landing page photo to their true crime. True crime. Uh, 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 Gary Ridgway. Ah. Um. Gary Ridgway, you're so small. Uh, ah, you're small. Oh my God, your uh, your your truck your truck bed is so nice. Ah. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, what else? What else is going on uh, on here? Politics is true crime. You know what? That's true. It's true. They are. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like it's just it's about the level of abstraction. Like for some people, it's too abstract to talk about politics when you could be talking about a person getting chopped up by Ginsu knives and put into a series of uh, of mailboxes. Like that, that is more. That's more. They connect more to that. They can visualize it much more easily than they can visualize the political process. But it's also it's it's either way. You're 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 graphically describing trauma and horror. It's it's almost only about the. Uh the scale of time that things are enacted, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the intensity of like the personal experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Let's see what else. Uh, why well, add the Pete Buddha judge podcast to my rotation? I don't think so though. I have considered doing a, um, the New York re- review of a uh, podcast. I kind of want to just listen to the top five non daily politics podcasts, which right now include, um, on any given week, like the 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 Pete podcast is one. Uh, ben Shapiro is always up there. The Dan Dan Cranshaw and Dan Bongino Bongo Gino. Oh God! Uh, really? Podcasts are always in the top five po- news and news Crenshaw and has a podcast. Yeah, I kind of want to just listen to that all guy five. Has no takes. It's like he's so fucking boring. Uh, he's I, just. Yeah, I kind of want to just listen to all f- like one week of all five of the top five news and politics episodes, and then do an episode like a solo episode reviewing them. I would be um, interested in that. I would, I, I would lo- want you to do it because I don't want to listen to that shit. Uh, maybe, maybe some week where I have a kind of down week of producing, I'll, I'll do that and and let all of you know what Dan Bogono Bonobo uh, Dan Bonobo uh, does on his uh, on his hottest podcast. They have a card here for every country that provided any assets to the war in Iraq, the Persian, the, the Gulf War. So there's one here for Sierra Leone, <laughs> who sent 200 troops. There's one here for Finland, who provided economic assistance and support of the International Red Cross Military Hospital. Wow. Thanks, guys. Yeah, totally cool. Um, all right, we're coming up on an hour here. Uh, let's try to get maybe one more question of, of, of substance and then, yes. a, and then a silly one. Yes, that sounds good. Uh, 
So uh, other than just misspellings of Dan Bajinos. Dan Bungingo. Um, oh, my God. So this is Niger, right? Mm-hmm. Listen to this. A former French colony, Niger gained its independence in 1958. Its geography is strongly influenced by the Sahara. Arable land constituting 3% supports peanuts, cotton, and millet. Uranium is a principal export. Yeah. Remember the yellow cake that they didn't get from Oh, Niger? yeah, the yellow cake. Uh, trading partners include France, Nigeria, and Japan. In recent years, drought and famine have plagued the country. Nigeria is a member of the United Nations and the coalition forces. Can't even list the contribution. <laughs> like their name is on like a document saying, go for it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, the, it is not a date NATO deck of cards. It is Gulf War One playing cards. Um, they're trading cards. They're yeah. trading cards. Yeah. Um. All right. I want. I'm looking for something with a little more substance. I think the best thing I have is a. Uh, somebody keeps asking if police privatization is in our near future. Uh, I mean, I guess the question is near. It's inevitable. Like privatization of everything. I mean, there will be no in the in the medium term if things aren't if the if the arc isn't bent you know if 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 we don't change the relationship between citizens and capital everything will be privatized because there will be no public sphere there will be no public space there will be no public agreed upon reality it'll be completely replaced by technocratic uh technological coercion and market coercion and that's when you're talking about like if anyone's read oryx and crake uh i've always thought that that book has one of the most uh chillingly realistic depictions of like america's near future especially since it's just the current existence in many parts of the world that already exist which is you have limited areas of of control by certain economic actors who are able to create networks of security and resources for people who provide services for them in the form of employment uh but and then outside of that it's just everybody for themselves in sort of a makeshift, uh, like return to the Hobbesian state of nature, but with uh, with TikTok. <laughs> All right, this is one of the cards here. Swear to God, is government Canadian national anthem. <laughs> I don't know why they're fucking sucking off the Canadians so much here. Since 1980, the national Canadian national anthem has been "O Canada." Before then, the official anthem had been "God Save the King" or Queen. O Canada was written by Calexia Laval <laughs> in 1880 for a contest held by a French-Canadian organization to select a national anthem. The words in French were written later by Sir Adèle Frutier, but did not gain wide acceptance until 1908 when they were translated into English by S.R.S. Weir. So keep that in mind when you watch the footage of the Highway of Death. um let's do one more yeah one more question um what do you, wither hollywood matt what happens with all these this after this year of zero movies uh is there any more is this the end of the current formulation of the hollywood system um, uh I mean, it does. It seems inevitable to me. I don't know how Hollywood comes back from this. I mean, maybe we get a vaccine and then people go back and there's like this mania for return. But, but like in other areas of the economy, 
the fucking Hollywood was these movies were losing money, you know, comparatively like the, the profit was going down. I mean, yeah, like Avengers can make a zillion dollars, uh, but but they had to concentrate movies like Avengers. Yeah, exactly. Like they're concentrating into, into ridiculous profit. Fewer margins. and fewer profit making movies that require har- larger and larger investments to even break even. Uh, and, and there's there's just been a, a steady re- erosion of of box office uh, income over the years, like profitability of, of particular films. So that was before COVID. So I think we're probably going to see a move towards just streaming. Everything's going to be streaming. Everything's going to be low budget. Forever streaming. You're looking uh, at the future of content, people. Yeah. And then... Cloud Atlas is great. I love Cloud Atlas. I love Cloud Atlas too. And then there might be a few movies a year that go to like I don't even know if they would be theaters. I don't even know. Like maybe it's like going to be there's going to be like a big screen that comes down at Dave and Buster's to watch the new <laughs> Avengers movie. I I think movie theaters will forever be around as maybe even as a boutique experience because going to the movies rocks. I love going to the movies, but there, just, there is a, a It's going to be like you said, it'll be a boutique experience. It'll be like revival houses. Like apparently that's how a lot a lot, number of theaters have have been showing old movies during COVID and uh I could see that as being viable, but there's only going to be a few movies a year I think that are going to get theatrical releases or are going to be expected to make their money through theatrical release. Most of the money is going to be made uh, through streaming. I do love going to the movies. I hope I we, love it too. It's I, a, I can't wait. I would love to go back to the out to the movies. I'm not going to go see Tenet though. Uh, yeah, it, I do think that they absolutely must uh, actually do an Oscars this year. Uh, yeah, so based the on Trolls the movies, World that Tour was, can win everything. Yeah, so that Trolls Two <laughs> wins best best picture, uh, and Cats, uh, you know, uh, uh, best direction and stuff like that. Um, I I think they have to do it just because it would be funny. Um, who's they, seen Tenet in the chat? I thought Tenet was impossible to see. Not uh, you can see it elsewhere, and I think there's there are like uh, now bootlegs available, but it's been released in other countries. It's just not released here, and apparently it is going to be released this week in theaters that are like allow them to be to be viewed. So you will be able to hypothetically see it in the United States. All right. Well, if I'm you're pay, willing to take your life in your hands, I'm going to pay four thousand uh, dollars to get one of six seats available in an IMAX theater to stay distanced. Um. All right. Well, this has been. A kind of low, low key, low key. Just yeah. This is this is basically a, a test of uh, capacity here. Yeah, we're, we're. I guess just some programming notes. Uh, you know, uh, we can't really say much about it. But Matt and I were, have been at the office this week uh, because we have a fun new project in the pipeline. Yes. Uh, so, um, you know, we we might be broadcasting from here a few more times uh, than uh, usual, just because we're coming in here to do some work. Um, uh, as always, the old style of of Matt streams the 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 Kushvlog classic will never disappear. Never. Uh, even if we move to this in a kind of full time way, uh, we will we will try to always uh, or in regular fashion do a, a big chunk of of Matt going off uh, solo at the beginning, and then maybe do some questions. And eventually, if I fix that fucking graphics card, we can play some games in here. That um, is the dream. I want to. I want to play some games. But again, if you know anything about uh, how to fix the GeForce RTX 280 Ti, uh, 
code 43 not recognized by windows uh hit me up and thank you to the person who already messaged oh perfect we're uh, already getting info thank god also um i am running home to go do a music video happy hour stream on my channel uh with molly for and introducing our music podcast that'll start around seven seven ish on twitch.tv slash the chris wade if you want to watch some music videos and have a few drinks Friday evening, come watch us. It's doing a Beyonce Power Hour, I believe. Beyonce Power Hour, yes. It's her birthday. Molly put together a Power Hour for her. Uh, and, oh, I thought it was so funny that that Forbes list came out and they put Beyonce on the 40 under 40 this year. Huh. Like, what? why does Beyonce need to be on a 40 under 40 list? Because she's going places. She, I, Keep an eye out for this Beyonce girl. <laughs> um, what else? Oh, uh, as I said earlier in the stream, but some people might not have seen it, I, I am... The the Kush vlog audio only podcast stream is launched. It's not it's it's public, but I haven't posted a link to it anywhere. It only has ten episodes. The first ten episodes in it. Over the weekend, I'm going to throw all the other sixty two episodes in it. Uh, hopefully, by the early next week, all the Kush vlogs will be available publicly as podcasts. In addition to the live stream, in addition to their archives on YouTube. <sighs> I think that's all the, the content news I have. I think you did it. Great. You did it, buddy. Well done. Well. So are we feeling good? Any final I'm feeling thoughts? Good. I'm feeling I'm Mr. I'm Chris feeling good. We'll be all right. I think we'll all be all right. Everybody, all right. don't worry about it. We'll be fine. All right. Well, then until next time, uh, Sayonara. <laughs>